Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. We're going to do a standalone message this week, and the title of the message is called Idols in the Camp. Now, I have spent, or I spent about 11 years in corporate America as my day job. And I worked at a very large, very well-known uh, company, Fortune 100 company, and the uh, and half the company is technology. That's the side I worked on, and um, most of the people that I worked with were born in the nation of India. <clears throat> so we have a lot of guys who are a lot of people. Probably seventy percent of the people I worked with were from India, and they were of the Hindu religion. And so before I started working there. Um, I knew nothing about Hinduism, nothing at all. Um, And then after spending more than a decade there, I have come out knowing quite a bit about Hinduism because there's a lot of conversations that I've had, a lot of uh, uh, praying for people, a lot of um, sharing the gospel with them, a lot of talking about what the real, um, who, who God really is and not who your culture says they are and a lot of conversations like that. And so, excuse me, so one uh, one of the people that I worked really close with was um, uh, a lady who was about my age. Her husband was uh, higher up in the company, but we worked in this cubicle, and so my cubicle was kind of big, so I was on the right side, and she was on the left. They put two of us in the same cubicle, and so um, I, I came quickly to understand that people who are born in the nation of India, if you're Indian descent, um, you have a lot of focus, a lot of focus on education. Um, a lot of data, a lot of engineering, a lot of analytics, a lot of doctors, a lot of things that require a lot of study. And they start very young with their kids on heavy lifting on the education. And so the girl is in my cubicle, had a master's degree in international finance. Yeah, I'm not sure I can spell all those words correctly in the, in the, right, in the right order, but she, I'm kidding, but she, she, she was really, really smart. <clears throat> and so um, I began to inquire over time, you know, about kind of, you know, you know, just getting to know your colleagues and the people you work with. And I noticed on her, on the side of her cubicle wall, there was these little figurines and they were about two inches tall <clears throat> and they were hanging there on the wall, you know, they, she tacked them up on the wall. And so one day, you know, we're getting, you know, more familiar with each other as we work together and ask questions. And she's showing me how to use the different systems and things. Um, I said, uh, hey, what are those things on the wall right there? Where are, you know, and me and my, you know, limited redneck American self, you know, thinks, oh, you might have went to some country and bought like a, like a trinket or like a, you know, like a sentimental, what? Souvenir. Souvenir. There we go. Thank you very much. That's what I was looking for. I thought you bought like a souvenir and it was kind of a reminder. <clears throat> I said, Is, <clears throat> are those souvenirs from someplace you traveled? And she said, no, these are my gods. And I just went, say that one more time for me because I didn't think I heard you correctly. She goes, yeah, these are my gods. And I was thinking, so I'm, I'm coming from, you know, uh, the, the Bible, you know, the, that perspective of, of truth, of monotheism, which is mono meaning one theism, God's one God. There is one God, Yahweh, Jehovah. He is over everything, created everything. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He sustains all things. He's sovereign. He is God. But in Hinduism, I came quickly to learn that they are pantheistic. Pan meaning many, theistic meaning God. So um, many gods, not one God, but many. 
And in this, in their particular religion, which is deeply woven into their culture, um, there are three main kind of gods or deities, and then 300 million, I did not say that wrong, that is exactly right, 300 million lower gods or um, like little deity figures. And that's where these little trinkets that she had on her cubicle wall fell. And so I said, <clears throat> okay, well, how did you come to see that these, uh, you know, are your, your gods? Like, and she goes, well, I prayed to them one day and they answered my prayer. And I said, okay, so, um, that means if you prayed to these guys and they answered, the other side of that logically would be you prayed to other little trinkets and souvenirs and, you know, little idols and it didn't work. And she said, yes. <clears throat> and I said, okay, <clears throat> please, you know, redneck logic, you know, that's how I was raised, you know, like, you know, tractors and yeehaw, right? So, um, uh, not tractors, but well drillers. Anyway, so I said, so let, me, let, me, let me ask you how this goes. So if I took 50 of these little trinkets and these souvenirs and put them on a table, and we're here in Phoenix, and I went, <clears throat> I was going to decide which one of these 50 are my God. I went to the first, first one in the, in the line on day one and said, Oh, mighty trinket, <clears throat> let it rain today. And then it didn't, and you take that one, whoop, get rid of it, because it didn't answer your prayer. And then you go to the next one on the second day, let it rain today. And it didn't happen. And so you go day after day after day after day and it's not raining. You get down to like trinket number like 37 or whatever. And then you say, let it rain today. And it rains. And then you go, oh, answered my prayer. Is this kind of how you decide who your gods are? And she goes, well, it wasn't about rain. But yes, that's the idea. And I, you know, just immediately, this is probably not the right thing to say. So probably don't follow my example on this one. But the, the redneck logic kicked out and my grandmother's sayings kind of poured out of my mouth at the moment. And I went, have you ever heard the statement that says a broken clock is right twice a day? <clears throat> and she goes, no, what does that mean? I'm like, just forget it. You know, it, it, just, well, and it just means that if you have an old school clock and it says, you know, three o'clock and it breaks, that at some point in time, it's going to come around to be three o'clock again. So technically we'll be right, even though it's not working. And so even though something isn't working, because she got what she wanted, she perceived it to be over her. It doesn't matter how intellectually smart you might be. When it comes down to your humanity, what people are looking for is somebody to give them what they want. That's what they wanted. This girl, she could run circles around me intellectually. She knew all the stuff about the laws and international finance laws and trading between banks and how long it would take and what the methods were. And she was, you know, uh, she was up there at um, all of these very, very large banks, worked on the tech technology side. She was really, really good at what she did. But ultimately, that level of education and intelligence doesn't matter. And the reason it doesn't matter is because at the core level of your humanity, you want what you want. And I'm gonna to try to justify getting what I want. And because her culture 
the the the, the <clears throat> excuse me the Indian culture is, is steeped with the Hinduism like the the um the, the the festivals and the holidays and stuff are all woven around the gods or the deities or the stories that are in Hinduism. It's very interesting to also when you talk to if you were to talk to somebody who is Hindu, they probably haven't read their holy scriptures, which are called the Vedas. Most of them don't know what they say. They were told by their ancestors or their grandparents or great-grandparents that this is true, and they're like, okay, I believe that, without doing any research on their own. And so as I'm trying to wrap my head around this, and I'm you know, trying not to be like, your God is on a thumbtack of a cubicle wall at your office. You know, I'm trying to wrap my head around that. <clears throat> um, I started to think back to um, the Bible when... God started to have a real problem with idolatry. One of the very first accounts that we find of God having a really bad problem, it, he had a problem with the whole time, but the, the, one of the first times the entire nation of Israel got into hot water with the Lord on this idolatry subject is right after they were released from Egypt. You guys are familiar with the story, and if not, you probably watch a children's cartoon with your kids, which is not exactly accurate, but you get the gist of the idea, right? Like they're in there, all the, the Israelites go there to escape famine, and they're welcome, they're given their own land, and after several hundred years, they begin to expand, and their nation begins to grow, and, and the pharaohs and the leaders go, wait a minute, these guys are growing at a remarkable rate, and we need to set this straight now before they overrun us in our own nation. <clears throat> and so they became, the, they made the, the Jewish people, the children of Israel, the, their slaves. They made them the workers and they put them to work. And for 400 years, 400 years, twice the length of time America has been a nation, for 400 years they were enslaved to Egypt. God raises up who? Moses. God raises up Moses. Um, to lead with his right-hand guy, Aaron, to go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. And then he says no 10 times, and then there's 10 plagues. And the last one is, the pa is where we get the Passover from, where the, the death angel is sent to take out the first child, the, 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 the oldest firstborn child, uh, male child of the entire nation. And the only way that the Israelites are saved from that is they take the blood of the lamb, a foreshadowing of what happens to Jesus, and they take that blood and they put it on their doorstep or on the on doorpost. And then when the angel comes through, he sees the blood and passes over them and spares the life of their children. After this, <clears throat> they, Pharaoh says, leave because his own son is killed in the middle of the night. He, he tells them to leave. They exit. They start walking through um, the, the desert. And they have already seen multiple miracles at this point they've already seen all of the plagues they've seen all the things that Moses is doing they've experienced the Passover they've experienced their own children being saved <clears throat> and then when they leave the Bible says that they didn't just leave that the people in Egypt took off their jewelry and handed it to them as they left they go to leave and and Moses is leading them throughout the throughout the the, the wilderness and through the desert and where do they go they come up to the Red Sea and God parts the sea, and they walk across on dry land, another miracle. And then the 
Egyptian army comes after them and drowns them, another miracle. And then how they're getting through the desert and how they know which way to go is God sends a like a cloud out of the sky to follow and Moses follows that and leads them in the direction. And then at nighttime, there's that, that cloud begins to glow and they, they kind of describe it almost like a pillar of fire so they know which way to go and they're following miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. These guys don't even have to hunt for food. They wake up in the morning and there's manna, which is bread from heaven and, and quail meat that is there. And they're supposed to gather up what they need for every single day and, and cook that only for their family for that day. And then anything else spoils, they go out the next day and it's there again. And they start gathering just miracle after miracle after miracle. If you saw that many direct miracles impact you in your life, there's a pretty good chance that you would probably say, like me, and go, there's no way in the world I'd ever walk away from that, God. <laughs> no way in the world I'd ever walk away from that system. I would keep following this dude, Moses. And so Moses comes back to the people, and he says, we're done walking. We're going to sit here at the bottom of this mountain. I'm going up the mountain. I'm going to talk to God, and I'm going to come down here with some directions for us. I'm going to be gone probably for about 40 days and 40 nights, a longer period of time. <clears throat> the people go, okay, man, we're out of slavery. We got all the food we need. It's provided for us. We don't have to work for it. We don't have to hunt for it. We don't have to cook the bread. We don't have to do any of that stuff. We have seen all these miracles. Our enemies are destroyed. God has provided for us. We have beacons in the night and directions in the day. <clears throat> we have a, a person here who's the representative, and he's going up the mountain. Great. And then after a little bit of time, all the people in Israel... Start getting antsy. Where is this dude Moses? What happened to this guy? He's up on that mountain, then I saw the cloud descend, but the cloud's been there a while. Did he fall over? Did he have a heart attack? Hit his head on a rock somewhere? Did he get eaten by an animal? There are all these questions. Where is this guy? He's not coming back for us like he said he was. What are we going to do? And they start to get antsy. They start to get a little impatient. They start to go tired of waiting. So they go and do something unbelievably stupid. They call his number two guy, Aaron. And they start a process of trying to get what they want. Exodus 32, 1 through 6. <clears throat> when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us out here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, slow your roll. He's coming back. Don't push me. No, that's not what he said. It's what he should have said. He said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron, and Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, Tomorrow will be the festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. 
you can probably see the mountain of issues that are going on here, right? Not only did they turn their back on the God who just performed all these miracles, not only did they just get impatient and say, where is this fellow Moses? As if they don't know him. That dude, what's his name again? He went up the mountain. Yeah, that guy, he brought us out here and now he's not here. What are we going to do? They get impatient and then in the midst of that, they build an idol. And they begin to worship it. Not only they turn their back on God and turn their face towards an idol, which is a representation of another God or where they came from, they begin to give the credit for everything that God just did to the false idol. It is a good thing that I am not God. Because I would have been, oh yeah? Wham! <laughs> all y'all, we're starting over, right? <laughs> like, all y'all suckers are done. I'm tired of this, right? It's a good thing that I'm not the one making the decision. Because I, I would have been, oh, you're, you're out. But as I began to read this, I was always told as a kid, you know, they built a calf, and I saw it in the illustrated Bible I had as a kid. And they, you know, the, the cutout on the felt board. If you don't know what a felt board is, you're under 30. Five, you're under 35. Um, you're under 35, and go, go ask somebody who's a little bit older than you what a felt board is when you go home. But he, he saw the little cutouts on the felt boards and children's church and stuff like that, and you saw the drawings. But I, but I started to wonder, why did you make a calf? Why didn't you make a lizard? Why didn't you make a tree? Why didn't you make a sun? Why didn't you make a Another person. Why did it have to be a calf? What was the significance of making a calf? Because Aaron didn't look around and go, what animal can I make? I'm trying to whittle this out here and pour this into a mold and fashion it. Uh, we'll give it four legs. I was trying to make a dog, but no, it really looks like a calf. <clears throat> he went in with the intention of making a calf. And there is a very big significance on why he made the calf or a young cow remember the children of israel were slaves for 400 years so they were raised in the culture of egypt much like the nation of india and we're talking about those people uh, the, the the hindu people i worked with that are that are pantheistic egypt was very pantheistic they didn't have just one God. They had one God who would create things and he'd step out of the way and then the wind God and the sun God and the, the God of these different gods of prosperity and different gods that would help the crops grow. They had all kinds of gods for all different things. And they had a specific God that was in the form of a young cow. It's, a, it's the first line there in your notes. One of the pagan gods Egypt, Egypt worshipped was in the form of a cow and was called, I'll spell it for you, Apis, A-P-I-S, A-P-I-S. <clears throat> this was referred to as the Apis cow or the Apis bull. Now, the people who worshipped this, this cow <clears throat> or this particular bull, it had to be two colors. Typically, black and white could be a darker brown, but it had to be two colors, black and white predominantly, and it had to have a specific shape on its head. Like one of the spots on it had to be in the shape of like a triangle or a rectangle or some kind of geographic shape that meant something to them. And so when they had that, they would sacrifice that cow 
they would kill it, and then they would they would build <clears throat> um, they would build a uh, they would gut it. They would stuff the skin, almost kind of like you know redneck logic taxidermy, right? Like they would stuff it, and then they would take the mother of the cow who gave birth to this one that was this sacred cow they were looking for, and they would honor it, kill it, and then bury it in a like a like a a super reverent spiritual place to them. And then they would make an idol that looked like something like this. These idols in archaeology are found <clears throat> all over the area because the worship of the calf or the young cow was very prevalent. If you'll notice, the horns are here and they put a sundial on its head to merge this with the God of fertility and that it would happen on a certain, um, in, in a certain time frame. Starting to see the correlation of what Israel was wanting. They lost, they lost the person who was leading them. They lost their intermediary. They lost the, the connection point <clears throat> to the God. And so they're looking for another one. And Aaron formed something that looks like this. The, <clears throat> at the beginning, uh, scholars and archaeologists, archaeologists will tell us that the Apis cow there was, um, this was the beginning, uh, at the beginning, this God was thought to be the God of fertility, like the crops would grow or the, the vineyards would grow or the, um, or the, the, the livestock would have a, a really good, um, abundant turnout, um, during this particular season. And so, <clears throat> it eventually merged to where this cow, this apis cow or apis bull, was a, um, an intermediary or a connection point to other bigger, more powerful gods. And one of the gods that it was uh, connected to um, after some time was the Egyptian god known as Ta. It's the next line of your notes, and I'll spell this out for you. <clears throat> P-T-A-H. P-T-A-H. The P is silent, right? Um, and when I first read this, I thought, oh, this is like a British accent for the name Peter. Peter, you know? <laughs> or what was that kid in the Hunger Games, like the guy Peter? Like, I, was, I thought it was like that. And then I started looking at the actually enunciation of it, and it's just T-A, like ta. I was like, oh, okay. I must have some relatives back there. They would have said that same thing. But this is what the god Ta looked like. <clears throat> this is a, a, an image of him um, here. I believe he's the one here on the left. And they believed that this god, Ta, had, was one of the more powerful of their pantheistic pagan gods. So the people have this connection point to this powerful God, and the connection point is the bull, is the calf. And they're trying to connect to the more powerful God, which is Ta. Make sense? <clears throat> okay. Now, let's keep going. <clears throat> the Egyptian people considered Ta as the creator of all things, the Lord of truth, the Lord of eternity, 
who listens to prayers and the master of justice. This is who they were trying to connect to with that calf. <clears throat> In the times of distress and doubting God, the people of Israel turned to the wisdom of their surrounding and the culture. They made the calf or the cow idol to connect to Tah. Their entire goal was to connect to something that would help them continue to survive. As you can imagine, God is not happy with this. He is frustrated with this. And when Moses came down to see them, he actually smashes the, the Ten Commandments that God wrote for him. He had to go back up and get another copy. Like, uh, I, I dropped those other ones you gave me. Can you make me another one? He has to make him another one. He comes down, and one of those commandments going forward is you will not make an image. You will not make an idol, and you will not worship any other god besides, besides me. <clears throat> he knew that this was not going to be the only time that human beings had a problem chasing idols. All throughout the Old Testament, all of the kings of Israel, there was very few that did what, quote-unquote, pleased the Lord. The rest of them did what was displeasing to the Lord. And one of those things that every one of those people who did things that were displeasing to the Lord, one of those things that they did was what? Build idols. They specifically went after Baal, the god of money. Asherah, the god of fertility and, and, and sex. They went after all of these different things and would build these idols. They would build these sacred pillars. They would build these poles all over the place. Sometimes they would put them on top of mountains. They would put the idols on top of mountains so that when you woke up in the morning and looked up on the hill, you would see the idol and be reminded that that is the god that we're underneath in worship. Idol worship was a massive problem. <clears throat> this also happened... In the book of Hosea. The book of Hosea is about a prophet named Hosea who was trained from a very young age to become someone who would speak to Israel on behalf of God. That was the job of the prophets. Today, if you're a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit resides in you. God can communicate directly to you. But in this time, the Spirit of God would come on these prophets, God would speak to them, and then they would speak to the nation what God wanted them, wanted communicated to them. So can you imagine, you know, we had the Super Bowl last week, and I don't know how many times I heard interviews with people being like, you know, football players, like, I worked my whole life for this. Like, this is everything I've been looking forward to. This is, I'm going to put all it on the line. I'm not leaving anything out on the field. You know, I'm just, I'm going to just go out there. This is what I've been waiting for my whole life. This is kind of a similar idea to what Jose has been going through his whole life. He has been preparing to be the prophet, to speak to the, the people of Israel. And uh, one of the very first times he gets to speak, something very interesting happens. This would have been a disappointment to me, but um, you gauge for yourself how you'd feel about it. Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go marry a prostitute. Wait, what? Go marry a prostitute? so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. Worshiping other gods includes making idols. <clears throat> Hosea does this 
He marries this prostitute. He actually has children with her. And after she has his children, she goes back on the streets and starts becoming, uh, um, becoming a prostitute again. And he goes and buys her back from the people who bought her so that he could go and illustrate how many times God kept going after his bride. Keep coming back to me. Turn from these idols. Turn from these other things that have captured you. Come back to me. Hosea 9, chapter 9, verse 1. O people of Israel, don't rejoice as other nations do, for you have been unfaithful to your God, hiring yourself out like prostitutes, worshiping other gods on, the, on every threshing floor. <clears throat> they have built multiple idols, worshiping multiple gods, and you can see just how God feels about it. He's saying how you're acting he compares their actions to leaving him for something else, for worshiping an idol, to you're prostituting yourself away from me. I am your husband in the analogy, but you continue to run after other things. <clears throat> he is very clear, God is, about how he feels with the idols. So what is an idol? Is it just a, 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 a thing that is made? Is it just a trinket hanging on the wall of a cubicle? Is it, <clears throat> is it just something that is physically shaped in the, in the, like an animal that you walk by? In our culture, we would probably kind of roll our eyes at this, or at least I did. And I would think, this is like some ancient problem. This is not like a current problem. I mean, how many of your friends in America are walking by and being like, oh, just before I leave the house, I need to kneel down and worship my idol for like three minutes and then I can come out with you? Nobody. We look at that like it's archaic or like it's, we're kind of beyond all that. We've learned that that's just ridiculous, right? It's kind of the general idea of those of us that live in this country, but an idol doesn't have to be something physical or something that's man-made that sits on a shelf. In, the, in my discussions with, <clears throat> with my coworker who was a Hindu, on certain holidays, they would have a larger idol of one of their three main gods in their home. And before they would eat, they would take a plate of food and set it in front of the idol and serve the idol first. And then after they were done, they would come back and get the food. And I asked her, did the idol like her cooking? And again, this is probably the wrong thing to say. Like, I'm just, I'm a little sarcastic and just a little knuckleheaded, right? <clears throat> and she just looked at me. She's like, what's that mean? I'm like, well, you fed it first, right? Did it eat any? Like, did it just not finish the whole plate and you wrap it in tinfoil and put it in the fridge for like leftovers for work the next day? Or what, what happened? Did it like it? And they kept telling me, no, it's not like that. It's just something we do culturally. It's interesting to me how the culture impacts our view of what provides for us. It's very, very interesting how, how even in our modern time, the culture is impacting what we rely on. So I, I, during my, uh, in my study, I came across several things, but I put four of them here in our notes, that what is an idol? So we're going to try to define that a little bit more today. So that next, that first bullet point there in your next line, your notes is an idol is something other than God that captures your heart. 
<clears throat> an idol is something other than God that captures your heart. The next one, an idol is something other than God that requires your devotion. That requires your devotion. The next bullet point, an idol is something other than God, other than God that becomes a substitute for God. Becomes a substitute for God. And then the last one, an idol is something other than God that demands what belongs to God. Typically things like faith, loyal sub submission. It demands what belongs to God. <clears throat> the question that I want us to begin to ponder and that I'm hoping that the Spirit of God is going to kind of nudge you in the direction of is that you begin to look at your own life and start to ask these questions. Is there anything that I do, that I believe, any... any um, thing that I hold on to? Is there a relationship? Is there a job? Is there anything that I have in my life that captures my heart more than my heart is captured for God? Is there anything in my life that I am more devoted to than God? Is there anything in my life that has, I am substituting him out for something else? <clears throat> is there anything in me that is giving what belongs to God, what he requires to something else? Am I giving my loyalty, my time, my submission, my, my faith, my belief? Am I turning that to anything else? Because if we are, I have some very real bad news for you. There's an idol in the camp. If there's anything that captured our heart, requires our devotion, becomes a substitute for God or demands what, uh, what God needs from us, we have an idol that we have left. Even if it's in a closet, dusting on a back shelf somewhere, we got an idol that we allowed to live. An idol that we have kept around. An idol that we are, in the midst of certain situations, tempted to run back to. I put myself in the situation of the children of Israel. And I asked myself, how many times, how many times has God not done something on the time frame I wanted? And then I looked around and thought, how can I make it happen? How many times have I followed God down a direction and he said, I'm going to open the door for you. I'm going to lead these steps. I'm going to guide you. But it took so stinking long and I got impatient and I began to look at the methods that the world began to have and start to consider them in my mind. How many times did I try to chase that method instead of following the God who I know has led me this far? How many times have I tried to try, uh, uh, attempt a different method? It could be because in every single time where I began to uh, attempt a different method, I was basically throwing all the gold in the fire and starting to build my calf. Is there anything else that I have relied on other than God? I'm hoping that at some point in time, maybe tonight or in the coming days or weeks, 
that God would reveal to you if you have any idols in your camp. <clears throat> if there are any idols that are present in your life, in your mind, in your heart. How would God reveal those idols if you had them? How would he reveal to them? The next couple of lines here in your notes. God, ways God might re or may reveal our idols is number one, through his spirit and through his word. <clears throat> through his spirit and through his word. You're here in this moment right now and you're listening to the message and you're having um, the word of God presented to you and taught to you so that we can understand it. And in those moments, the Spirit of God uses that new understanding, that new teaching from his word, that new understanding in our own heart. He uses that to try to begin to convict us and shine light on certain areas, including an area that might be an idol for us. The second bullet point, uh, ways God might reveal our idols is through delays or disappointments. <clears throat> delays or disappointments. Is he revealing things in you from delays and disappointments, much like what happened with the children of Israel? And the last one, this one was, this one was a little tough for me. Uh, the last, the third bullet point here on a way that God might reveal our idols is through blessings. Blessings. <clears throat> Hosea chapter 10, verse 1. This will shed some light on what I mean by God can use your blessings to show that there's an idol. How prosperous Israel is a luxuriant vine loaded with fruit, but the richer the people get, the more pagan altars they build. The more bountiful their harvests, the more beautiful their sacred pillars. The more they got, the more God blessed them, the more they became reliant upon the blessing instead of the one who provided for them. In this way, the blessing or provision of God became their idol. What they secretly wanted is what everybody, every human being wants. They want their own way. They wanted what they desired. And when they finally got it, did they abandon God? Yes. And they turned to the blessing and worshiped the blessing as if, oh, you know what? Well, that did just kind of just happen. Oh, well, you know, it was my, my talent that opened the door. You know, it was my idea, my wisdom to kind of plant on this side and not this side. So, yeah, and they begin to take credit for it and look at the blessing that was given to them and began to worship it, and the blessing revealed they actually had a heart that was pursuing an idol. There's a lot of times where <clears throat> you may have known somebody, or you may be the person who asked God for something specifically, and he gave it to you. 
he answered your prayer. And in those moments, those those um, next weeks and months and years after you received exactly what you prayed for, did you abandon him and just rely on the thing that he gave you? Because in that way, his blessing has become our idol. I'm not saying that he can't give you anything without your focus wandering off. I'm just saying that there's sometimes God can bless you in a way and in the same time reveal to you, hey, you really didn't want me. You wanted this thing. And once you got the thing, you turned your back on me and you made the thing an idol. Parents, your kids are a blessing, but they're bad gods. What do I mean? There's many people who fall into the trap, I think naturally. All I want for my kids to be good. If my kids are good, I'm good. If they're down, I'm down. If they're up, I'm up. If they're solid, I'm solid. If not, and what you're doing is you're living your life under the submission of them. And in this way, I'm not saying it's guaranteed, but there's a possibility you could make your kids, your family, or your relationships an idol. No matter what the culture does or what other things go on around me, do you stay true to the God who provides for you? Or are you distracted that if the blessing that I had begins to go away, that the foundation that he has provided for me begins to crumble, has any of that the blessing that God has given and intended to be a blessing, a add-on, a proof to you that you are loved by your heavenly father. Has any of that turned to our focus? Because if it has, we might be shaping an idol in God's presence. As I look back on the Old Testament, I kind of, in my mind, I kind of, relegated all the idol worship to the Old Testament. Like, oh, it's in the modern time, Jesus came, and they kind of did away with all that. <clears throat> um, but I was wrong. It was very prevalent also in the New Testament after Jesus came, 1 Corinthians 10, 14. This is Paul talking to the church in Corinth. My dear friends, free, flee from the worship of idols. Colossians 3, 5, Paul again telling the people in the church, Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of the world. 1 John 5, 21, I put it in two different um, translations. And the first one, it spells it out really plainly. Um, in the NIV, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. But I put the, the New Living Translation underneath it for your notes as well because I believe it kind of summarizes what we're trying to get after here today. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. 
last line of your notes, anything that takes God's place in your heart is an idol. <clears throat> I think I think it's probably impossible or at least highly improbable that you make it through your entire life without forming at least one idol. You're humans. Some people, they shape their idol in the form of their church. Some people shape it in the form of their pastor. Some people shape it, shape it in the form of their family. Some people shape it in the form of their job. Some people shape it in whatever else the thing that captures your heart. Other than God, they begin to shape that as an idol. Um, if you are someone who's sitting here or listening to this later who goes, oh man, I feel like while I was sitting here and hearing these scriptures and all this stuff, something rose to the top here. And I think that there's something that might be, I might be struggling with as an idol here. It might, something might be starting to eclipse my view of God and it be, it's becoming my primary view. I want to, I want to give you some, a little bit of instruction here. You may not have to kill it. You may just need to put it in its rightful place. If your kids and your family and your job or whatever else it is has become your entire world and that is what you live for and you, I'm just trying to make them good, I'm just trying to do all that and that even above your pursuit of God, that is the thing that has become the overarching dominant um, thing that dictates every aspect of your life, decisions and everything. If that has become it, you need to take them off of the throne Keep them in a value, in a high value, high, high importance level, but understand that it's God the one, is the one who gave that family to you. It's God is the one who gave you those kids, and it's God is the one who is instructing you to provide for them. So don't lose sight of him. Reprioritize and put him back. You may not have to destroy the thing that has become an idol, but you may need to disfigure it and say, it's not going to be my idol anymore. Who I serve, all of my hope, all of my trust is in that name of Jesus. If your idol is an immoral activity, it is something that is against what scripture would line out for you if it is against the standard of God, if it is stark contrast, if it is like that calf that Israel built, crush that thing to powder. Destroy it. Things like that need to be destroyed. The other things that were blessings that became, a, became the idol, knock those down to I'm grateful for these things, God. I'm going to manage and steward these things well, but I'm not going to let anything eclipse my heart for you. 
I thought the title of the message today when I was kind of struggling with it, with Idols in the Camp, was a little harsh. Because it implies kind of like people doing secret stuff, like hiding an idol or hiding selfish things or whatever. Um, but I think it's a direct warning from the Spirit of God to all of us on the heels of an entire series about wounds getting over so that we can move forward before we move forward and take a massive step to make sure the things that we're idolizing are in their proper place. Let's make sure nothing captures our heart, captures our devotion, captures our attention, captures our commitment more than Almighty God. If you know right now there's something that popped up in you and you go, oh God, I've been doing that. You're human and there's grace for you. What you have to do is repent. That word repent doesn't mean just say you're sorry. Yes, say you're sorry. That's a great way to start repentance. But repentance means I'm changing direction. I'm not going to allow this to become my idol, this to be on a higher pedestal. I'm going to change my mind, change my direction, and put my ultimate attention on the God who is over everything. And then let all of these things follow in the right path. 